Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this very special episode of It's a Fandom Thing. On this episode, I'm very excited to have on the line with us um, two people from Foreman Empire Productions out of Atlanta, Georgia. We have Shriko Bakari and Tanya Cole on the line with us. So I'm very excited to talk to them um, about uh, Ominous Project, which is a project they have going on, and various other things. And I will say just up front um, that I met them in Atlanta when I was out there for the Women in Horror Film Festival, and they sponsored the award that I won. So, uh, which was a big honor and thank them. I thank them again for that. So I'm just very excited to have them on the line with me. So why don't you guys first introduce yourselves um, and let me know sort of how Form and Empire Productions began, um, how you guys sort of met. Okay. Well, uh, as you stated, my name is Shriko Bakari. I am the executive director uh, at Form and Empire Productions out of Atlanta, and um, Foreman Empire started back in uh, January of 2015, January 20th to be exact. So we are celebrating our fifth year anniversary this year, um, which is really, really awesome. We have a lot of uh, cool things coming up uh, during our fifth year anniversary. And um, I'm very, very excited to uh, have the team that I do have now. It was very, very hard to uh, assemble a hardworking, dedicated committed uh, team that I have now. Uh, nowadays, a lot of people, they like the idea of doing great things and doing big things, but when they see the amount of work that it requires, um, a lot of them you know, raise an eyebrow or say, well, I'm not getting paid for this, so I don't want to do all of this work, but yet you want to do all of these other things to be well-known. Well, you know, you have to start somewhere. Um, however, in 20, from 2015 up until the summer of 2018, I was um, I took those years as um, trial and error years and trying to figure out what worked, what didn't work. I uh, studied a lot of my favorite producers and directors such as Wes Craven and uh, Jason Blum of Blumhouse and things of that nature. And I did a lot of things where I was testing stuff out to see how well it would work and until I got it right with uh, my uh, little tester film I did in Fayetteville, North Carolina when I was there in 2016. And um, from there, I knew I had something and I needed to do something professional um, after that. And I want to say about the uh, summer of 2017, that is when I wrote uh, my directorial debut, which was The Ominous Project, which was uh, centered around uh, four uh, news uh, members at a news station trying to go undercover to you know, find the whereabouts of a serial killer out of Atlanta. Um, it did pretty well. I was, uh, was pretty happy about it. Um, there were some things that I wish uh, I could have done differently. And, you know, as as you are your own biggest critique, you know, so mm -hmm. I, I, I wish I could have done a little bit things differently, but everything went as it was supposed to. And I do not regret anything. Um, I do not regret any of the outcomes from that. And uh, from there, that is when I met uh, Tanya Cole, uh, we were uh, colleagues at a uh, school out of Buckhead in the Buckhead area in Atlanta. And um, I'm going to let her introduce herself. And uh, she was actually 
one of the very first uh, executive board members I put on for my production company. So good to see you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm Tanya Cole. I currently serve as a board member, executive producer, and actor for Foreman Empire Productions. So my uh, background is education administration by way of biology. So a little bit of uh, everything. Um, very new um, to the filmmaking industry, but when you live seven and a half miles from Tyler Perry Studios, 12 miles <laughs> from Pinewood Studios, and four miles from Atlanta Metro Studios, it's hard not to think to yourself, maybe I should be involved in this too, because um, you know, living in the heart of Atlanta, you are surrounded by um, the industry, um, um, known as the New Hollywood of the South. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and how is that? I mean, how have you guys done anything in LA or is it just that you've worked in Atlanta? So I don't know if you have any way of comparing it, but I know that the film industry in Atlanta is just amazing and just booming. And um, I know because Georgia gives such great tax credits that everybody wants to go down there now. (laughs) So what's it like down there? Is, Is it competitive at all? Or is it a lot easier to get work in Atlanta than say it would be in LA or New York or something like that? Well, I haven't necessarily um, filmed out in the L.A. or New York area yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is on my list of things to do. Uh, however, we have not gotten to that point yet. Um, but we did have a um, we did have a Hollywood premiere um, at Universal Studios in Hollywood when we premiered our sequel film, The Ominous Project to Macabre File. And uh, we all flew out to L.A., the Hollywood area, and uh, we were screened at the Universal Cinema at CityWalk at Universal Studios Hollywood. And um, we were the first and only independent filmmakers to ever screen at a theater of that magnitude. And wow. that was a really, really big deal for us. Um, a lot of people were like, how did you get that? Instead of asking us, how did we get it? Just say, congratulations. What can (laughs) I do to do something of that magnitude? You know, but it was really awesome. But that is pretty much the only um, L.A. Hollywood experience we have had uh, with film thus far. But there is more to come with that. Well, congratulations. Seriously, that's that's amazing. That's what an honor, because I know you guys. Sorry, go ahead, Tanya. No, 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 please go ahead. Go ahead. And then I'll um, chime in after that. Because I know you guys have won a lot of awards for your work. And, I mean, that's that's real. I mean, it's such a competitive industry, as you guys know. It's just really hard to get your foot in the door. Um, and so to get any recognition, you guys should be really, really, really proud of yourself. So just congratulations is what I'm going to say. So You're welcome. Um, I was just segueing in, in terms of um, Georgia and everything that's happening here. Um Besides New York and L.A., Georgia is sort of the third in terms of when it comes to filming locations. Um, All of the studios are within close proximity of the airport, um, which makes it easy in terms of finding locations, studios, and and things of that nature, as well as actors. I think um, while I've not tried to pursue any work in L.A. or New York, I would imagine that Atlanta is ripe for those of us that are brand new to the industry. I think it's a rare occasion that, you know, one has no experience in filmmaking or acting um, can have the opportunities that have been offered like through Foreman and Power Productions um, to be on a major um, screen or in a film. 
Um, so I would say that Atlanta is ripe for opportunity. And you certainly could not do that in New York or Hollywood. Most definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what that's the impression I have gotten. And I still think um, Colorado got the opportunity to be basically another Hollywood and they turned it down when they shut down Stapleton years ago. Um, a bunch of Hollywood execs came down here and wanted to make it into a studio and they turned that down, which <laughs> I mean, yeah. So a, a lot of people out here just want to kick all those people that did that because, <laughs> because you guys were smart. I mean, Georgia was smart. They went, yep. You know, I mean, the tax credits alone have got to just be helping the economy down there so much. So yeah, and, and I've heard it's a people are a lot nicer there to work with, um, and like you said, it's a lot easier for people to do stuff that don't have as much experience or don't necessarily know people. Um, so that's that's good to hear. Well, let's talk about your projects a little bit. Let's talk about um, the ominous project universe. I know that you had uh, one film come out called Isolation. Mm-hmm. And to me, it sounds like it pertains a lot to the current situation we're living through right now with a pandemic and everything else that's going on right now. Um, so how did you come up with that idea? And was it kind of a play on what's going on right now? Well, uh, the Ominous Project Universe Presents is an, a found footage anthology horror series. And... Um, as you see on television, you don't see a lot of, uh, we see some anthology horror series, you know, they're, they're coming back with it. And it's pretty cool. I love to see the different uh, stories uh, within the same universe. However, um, you've never really seen a found footage horror style anthology series. And so I wanted to be among the first to uh, really implement that, not with one story, but with multiple stories. So just think of um, the Blair Witch Project, meets the Twilight Zone or the Outer Limits combined it and they had a baby together. Uh, But this is different stories in that same style. And um, how I came about with the the idea for isolation, uh, well, when I found out that um, I was going to be out of work for two and a half months uh, because I am a, uh, I'm an educator here in um, Macon, Georgia, and also I do uh, loss prevention at uh, Old Navy as well, too. So when I found out I was going to be out of work for two and a half months, I said, you know what? I definitely need to take this time to uh, write something new, different, fresh, and something that's going to pretty much scare the hell out of people. And what better way to do that than to play on the pandemic right now? (laughs) Yes, that's a very bold move. And uh, one of the critics uh, that reviewed it out of uh, North Carolina, the Silver Movie Critic, uh, he said, you are a very bold piece of work. I can tell you that. He said, this is awesome. He said, but good Lord, just thinking about what's going on now and watching this, it's ter- it's 10 times more terrifying because this is what we're going through right now. Um, so I definitely wanted to play on something that was real um, to open people's eyes a little bit more, and but also to give some sort of entertainment, some sort of relief. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um I know it's a lot going on with people not having jobs and people not being able to go outside, people getting sick and, you know, some people even passing away. So I wanted to kind of ease that pain a little bit to um, turn it into some sort of entertainment. And it worked. It was an experimental project. Uh, This was actually deemed as a 10 minute uh, short film that was going to be submitted uh, to a quarantine festival out of New York City. 
And um, when I wrote it, I said, oh, no, this can't be 10 minutes. It can't be. So I removed myself from the festival. Um, they asked why. I was like, why, why are, you, are you sure? And I told them, I said, guys, I'm so sorry. I, this particular film that I've just made cannot be shortened into 10 minutes. It, it just cannot be. And it ended up being 36 minutes long. And so when we had a virtual premiere for it, we got a lot of great feedback from it. Um, and from there, I said, you know what? Let's go ahead and enter this into festivals and see what happens. And not just any regular festivals. Let's go ahead and enter this into some big, heavy-hitting festivals, some top-tier festivals, and just see what happens. And lo and behold, from <laughs> May 1st until right now, isolation has been entered, I'm sorry, has been officially selected by over 37 film festivals worldwide, with about five of those being top-tier film festivals. And we've won at every last one of the festivals that we've gotten into. So I'm yeah. really excited about that. And from there, it's, I told myself, I said, you know what? Let's turn this into an anthology horror series and let's go ahead and do another episode and see what happens and things of that nature. And isolation has just been doing amazing. And I'm, I'm very proud of something that was just a small little challenge project that I was doing in my own home. And we filmed the entire thing in my apartment. My apartment is only but so big and the, the reviews we've get, we've gotten from it, they're like, how in the world you made this? This looks like a blockbuster film in your apartment, just one space. And I'm like, you'd be surprised how your creative juices will move when, you know, there's nothing to do, you know? And that's how Isolation became about. And we're about to have the world premiere at the Cobb International Film Festival in Marietta, um, on July the 31st, 11.30 a.m. at the Strand Theater. So I'm really excited about Isolation, and I'm proud of every last person who's who was a part of that. It was a virtual deal mixed with <laughs> us being quarantined. So it was really cool. But I'll let uh, Tanya chime in on a little bit more about Isolation. Yeah, so it's back at the Strand where we met you, Aaron. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Um, <laughs> For me, um, isolation was also um, very interesting because Atlanta um, was one of the places where Contagion was filmed. And that began to be the film that everyone started watching when the pandemic really, really, really started to get bad um, in the third and fourth week of March. Um, so that struck home here as well in Atlanta. Um, but for me, not only did the film serve as a bit of entertainment, if you will. Um, for some, it was something that people could actually relate to. Because I think now that we're into the pandemic and it's, you know, third or fourth month, whether or not you want to, to say that it's the animal within or the animal um, outside of oneself, um, people are starting to see different sides of themselves that they hadn't seen before um, this really struck. Um, so not only have has society changed um, tremendously, not only has um, medicine and health changed tremendously, um, people um, have changed quite a bit um, as well. So I do think that um, a lot of us out there can identify with, um, if not one, all of these characters in some way um, shape or form. So I can appreciate um, the realness um, that Shrigo Picari brought um, to this particular script for isolation. 
And talk a little bit about, uh, as an actress, how it was uh, performing in this one versus maybe something where you where you don't have any of the um, restraints that a pandemic <laughs> brings about. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think you can, I know no, the, the listeners can't see, but I know you can see. This is the same little red sofa that was in isolation for my character. <laughs> um, so... Um, the, the restraints are pretty much, you know, spending your time here in this one place because we were using um, technologies like we're using now in order to film that um, film. So you don't have a lot of space for props or motions or movements to mm-hmm. to help you act out that part. Um, but for my character, she's a mother. You know, I'm a I'm a mother of three, an empty nester. So that role, um, I could certainly. Um, I could certainly get into her shoes because trying to figure out where your child is and miss the chaos is any mom's, you know, first nightmare, first and foremost. Um, and I, I don't say that lightly because I have a good friend that just lost her son yesterday. Um, but um, I can only imagine what that would be like um, for a parent trying to locate their child and find out that their child is not well. Um, so to play that role, um, one could say it could be easy, yes, because I'm a mother, but it's also difficult because of the issues that you're grappling with. Yeah, that's, that's, and I'm sorry for your friend's loss. That's, yeah, this whole time, it's seeing a lot of, a, a lot of people losing people. It's oh. a, it's a very hard time. Um, and then, and then for you, Shrigo, how has it been? filming during this time and creating during this time and also performing during this time since you're an actor as well. Yes. So creating around this time is, um, it's a blessing. It really is. Although the, the things that are happening around us are not so good. Um, however, what I was always taught is even in the darkest of times, there's some sort of positivity, some sort of, of light, some sort of good that you can take from that. And this is what happened to me as, as a creator. It, 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 my mind was just exploding left and right day in and day out. Every single day that I woke up every single day that I went to sleep, I was eating, breathing, sleeping, showering, everything with my creative juices. And as a performer, because I am an actor as well. I do star in my own films. Um, it was awesome. Um, it was really cool uh, to turn your entire apartment into this apocalyptic craziness. Um, blood on the walls and on the floor. And you know what? But you know, you have no restrictions when it's your own things. You know what I'm saying? In your own <laughs> possession. So, uh, you know, it, it was really cool because you know, on other sets and things of that nature, you have to be careful because it's not yours and you got to walk on eggshells a little bit. But when it's in your own apartment or your own home, your own residence, the the possibilities are just freaking endless. So I had a great time destroying my entire apartment <laughs> and, 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 and playing this without spoiling anything, playing this uh, um, crazy character if you will (laughs) but um it was really awesome to to actually see myself um as that specific um crazed character i've never played a role like that before 
And um, it was really scary. It was really scary. But overall, creating and performing during this time period is is a blessing. It really is. That's wonderful to hear, really. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, because I think from um, a lot of strife, from a lot of any kind of thing that's that's holding you down, sometimes you can find the best creativity through that, the best inspiration through that, the most inspiration. You can find a way, a way through that, I think. I mean, I think sometimes when things are very easy, you can get a little lazy, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when you have that limitation, trying to find a way to sort of swim through that sea, (laughs) through those waves that might be pushing against you, um, can really lead to a lot of wonderful exploration and a lot of wonderful insights. So that's, that's great to hear. And then, um, you filmed this all on an iPhone eight, correct? Yes. We filmed all of this on an iPhone eight plus. Um, We did not utilize the anamorphic lenses um, that we um, have uh, for the iPhone 8 Plus. We wanted everything to seem very natural, very real, and very now, if that makes sense. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't want to use all of these big, huge lenses and filters and things. I wanted it to look as authentic and real as possible, as if someone was actually going through this right now during this pandemic and they were filming their last few days, how would that look and feel rather than Mm -hmm. taking a camera and doing something like the Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity or the taking of Deborah Logan and those type of films, not taking any credit away from those films, but for this style, for this atmosphere, for the feel that we wanted for this particular episode with isolation, I wanted it to seem and be as real as possible. And we accomplished that, um, <laughs> asked what we expected. <laughs> yeah. And, and we should say, I'm just going to read a quick little synopsis of, of what the, what it is. is um, and this is from a review, but the film follows Alicia Stone, a registered nurse who was just trying to get to work one day when she was told to go back home and lock up tight. Why? For what reason? It's not until her fiance Garrett arrives home that we learn terrible truth. The world is going insane. What will it take to survive? So yeah, it's, it's to me, it just seems so fitting for right now because yes. <laughs> in a lot of ways, the world is going insane. I mean, it's a really good way to put it. Um, so yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make sure we got that in there. So, um, and then you have, um, episode two, which is one that deals with, um, possession, correct? The, and that's, yeah. And that's the devils within and you're playing the one who's possessed, correct? Oh, yes. I, I, goodness gracious. Almighty. Yes, I did play the character who was possessed in the devils within it was insane <laughs> <laughs> and you know that's a very common theme in in horror is possession storylines and they continue to intrigue us why do you think that is and why did you want to take on a possession storyline well i think it's real simple um a lot of us a lot of moviegoers even a lot of people who aren't moviegoers they love to see things that are real They love to be scared. They want to see what people actually really experience in real life, but dramatized. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think that is the most, um, in my opinion, that is the most fantastic and most uh, greatest form of entertainment to me. I like to see something that's real being portrayed on the screen. 
I'm like, oh my gosh, that's truly terrifying, you know? Oh my goodness gracious. But uh, when it comes to demonic possessions, um, that's, you know, people who believe in things like that, you know, people who have actually seen it or experienced it, you know, they know firsthand, you know? And I wanted to take a stab at the demonic possession world of film. I've always wanted to do something like that, especially after viewing uh, the Conjuring Universe films and, um, you know, the taking of Deborah Logan and the exorcism of Emily Rose, all the way down to, you know, the cult favorite, The Exorcist. Um, I've seen The Exorcist one time and I will never watch it again. It just, mm -hmm. it scares the living hell out of me. And I saw it summer of 2016. And when I did a little bit more research on it, I was like, wow, this film is cursed. What in the world? You know, the cast and the crew, they experienced a lot of um, unexplained phenomenon um, while filming and even after filming. And I watched a few interviews on that with some of the cast or, you know, the crew members and whatnot, and even the, the company that produced that, that film. And um, that is probably one of the most terrifying films I've ever seen in my entire life. And I said to myself, one day, I want to make a possession film that is up to par with The Exorcist or any of the other uh, demonic films. So that is why we chose that. That's why I specifically said we're going to do this. Um, when I contacted Tanya about playing uh, the priestess within this demonic episode, um, she was all for it. She was like, yeah, let's go. Where's the script? <laughs> and I'll let her um, explain a little bit more about that. <laughs> Basically, coming off of the energy of um, isolation made it easy for a lot of us to step into episode two. Um, not to say that we didn't have anything to do, but there are a lot of us that still are not working, still have not a lot to do. So we were already. Um, in the flow of creative juice flow flows and uh, working with scripts and working with potential props. And so, again, it was easy to segue into that. Um, in terms of the Priestess Jackson um, role, um, she um, was a bit of a challenge for me. Um, I didn't know exactly where to go with that. And I was like, well, you know, you know, what do you want? Do you want a Catholic priest or, you know, do you want, you know, a... Uh, uh, like a never answered me and so the um, interpretation for this particular role is really not to sort of touch on any one religion in particular um, but just to focus on the exorcism process in and of itself and so um, that character might be interesting or not for some to see because of its interpretation but it does leave it open for the viewers to be able to interpret or to live that character in any way that they uh, deem fit um, in terms of seeing um, Shariko in that role, um, that was, I think, challenging for all of us. Um, it was, at least for my role, difficult to be able to kind of look just over across and look him in the eye. I don't know if you ever noticed that I really never looked him in the eyes directly um, playing that role. Um, so that was uh, interesting and challenging um, in and of itself. Yeah, it was really, really, really terrifying. I think this is the most terrifying project we have ever done, um, especially in terms of acting wise. Um, I even 
I taught myself Latin for an entire month uh, to prepare for this role. And um, it was very difficult, but when I got it, I got it. And in terms of um, body language and how this demon would sound, how would he control the character Shannon's body? I, I was playing multiple characters at one time. It was at one point where I was Shannon Xavier, which is the husband of Don Xavier, um, who is crying out for help because he's hurting, he's scared, you know, he's trapped inside of his own body with these entities. And then it switched to now I'm the demon again, or I'm demon this or demon that. It was it was very hard. This is the most challenging role I've ever done in my entire life. Um, however, it was the most exhausting and it was the most uh, scariest experience ever. Um, but uh, I do believe that uh, viewers who do like uh, this uh, subgenre will definitely appreciate uh, the amount of thought and hard work and also how real it is. I think that is the scariest part. It just seemed too real. And it was at one point where I did not know what the hell I was saying until I researched it. And I was like, oh, my God, how did I know to say that? And it, those things happen, you know, it, it was it was really scary. But um, the acting in it is phenomenal. Every last one of us. It was it was really good. I'm really excited about it. And uh, we finished it uh, on uh, July the I want to say it was the 13th Sunday and um, it went through the editing and post-production process, color grading and scoring. And it has gotten its first official official selection at the 2020 horror movie awards. And uh, we are now semi-finalists uh, for the award ceremony too. So it's uh, got a lot of good things coming up for it, but it, it is scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope the appreciation is for the 90 plus degree temperatures, 60 plus um, percent humidity and wolves <laughs> and everything else howling and screeching that yes. night while we were filming. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious almighty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that must have added to it, though, added to the horror and added to the fear and the, the, <laughs> the terror there having to deal with that at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I don't do well with the heat. So, and it's been in the high 90s here, but we don't have humidity. So, <laughs> it's a little <laughs> bit different <laughs> dealing with that. Um, so, that was just one week ago that you finished that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's pretty cool. Well, congratulations. And I'm the same with you, Shriko. I, I've seen The Exorcist one time and I cannot watch it again. I can't even watch clips of The Exorcist. I can't oh. hear the music, mm -hmm. nothing. It just terrified me. Yeah, there's something about possession storylines that always scare me more than other things. And I think it's because, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm a believer in the paranormal. I've had lots of paranormal experiences. So I think that's yeah. part of what it is. Yeah. yeah. And I think also possession can mean a lot of different things to people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there can be things we're going through struggles we're going through um, that can feel like it's possessing us if, if that makes sense. So I think that you know, it's kind of a universal thing. And I think that's why it terrifies people so much. I know you spoke on that a little bit. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting, Erin. Didn't you um, attend some sort of Zoom or webinar yesterday about? Yes. Yeah. 
did talk you? to us about that. Talk to us about that. Yeah, yeah, I was going to mention, uh, yeah, I did a, um, there's this web um, newspaper online magazine called Nerd Alert News, and they cover everything nerdy, geeky, you know, everything sci-fi, horror, everything like that. And they were doing their first virtual con. They've never done one before. And they had a panel where they did a live watch of um, ghost adventures. And then afterwards, we just did a panel discussion talking about the paranormal and our experiences with it. And so it was just, it was, and so I shared a lot of my experiences. I've had experiences with it since I was like five years old was the first time I saw like a spirit, which I haven't seen too many spirits, but I've had a lot of paranormal experiences in my life. So uh, we just discussed that. Um, There were a lot of people that were on there that were like, I love this stuff, but I would never in a million years want to experience anything (laughs) like it because it just terrifies me that idea. So we talked a little bit about that. We talked about there's a bar here that I used to go to that used to be a brothel up above it. And it was probably the most haunted place I've ever been in. Uh, People got pushed downstairs there. I mean, they had lots of ghost hunters that would come there and, you know, lots of orbs and um, even seeing like fog up there. It was bizarre and just lots of evil energy and yeah, so we talked a little bit about that. It was a very interesting conversation. Um, yeah. So do you guys have any experience, any paranormal experiences? Yeah, as a kid, um, yes, most definitely so. And even up to my age now, being 28 years old, um, yeah, when I was a kid, I was in middle school, and um, we came from church. My dad was deployed because we're a military family. He was deployed overseas. And it was myself, my mom, and my sister. And uh, we would go to church, to this church that was about maybe maybe an hour away. And on our way to church, my mom, for some reason, she didn't see this car. And this car literally pushed her BMW off the side of the road. And we were spinning out. But when we looked, you know, because usually the car would, st- you know, if someone almost hits you or something, nine times out of ten, they're going to stop if, unless they're just too scared and they're just going to do like a hit and run or whatever. But we looked and I said, and you know, my mom just yelled out, she was like, Jesus. And as soon as she yelled it out, the car stopped. And I remember I saw her face and I looked at her and she was like, where's that car? And I'm like, there was no car. What are you talking about? Like, I didn't, I didn't see a car. Even my sister, like, I didn't see a car talking about when we got home. We used to hear a lot of things on the roof in our attic. Mind you, there's no way in hell any type of animal, rodent, whatever, could get up there. It was sealed tight. There's just no way. There's no way it could gnaw through anything. It was hard as I don't know what. So one night, my mom, we were, you know, we were all in the living room, and it sounded like people were fighting on our roof. Literally, like fist fighting, rolling around everything and I'm like what in the hell is going on and you know mind you I'm in middle school so I really don't know what to say I'm just looking crazy like oh my god and my mom is just looking at us and I remember her grabbing us and she was just holding us near her on the couch and I was looking at the ceiling and she kept saying it's okay it's okay everything's gonna be fine it's gonna be good and you know we were watching tv and stuff and I'm like I saw a tear go down her, her cheek and I'm like this is not fine there's something up there and when we went to church that following Sunday I remember that pastor gave her a bottle of holy oil and he told her what to do with it 
he told her how to bless the house and what to say. And literally that same night, it was like we heard it for like three seconds and then it stopped, like out of nowhere, like it vanished. And I was like, what in the hell is this? Like, I've only seen, heard stuff like this in movies. And so this is weird. And my mom went to work because she was a nurse. She went to work one day. Myself and my sister, we love playing video games. So we're in my room. We're playing my uh, PlayStation and whatnot. And we leave the controller down. So we're in the kitchen. We come back to my room. And I will never forget this because we ran out the house screaming, yelling. And luckily, my godmother stayed literally about maybe seven houses down from us. It was like the game. The, the controller was not moving. Okay? The controller wasn't moving. It was stationary. But the game was actually playing how I would play. Now, mind you, if you leave something idle long enough on a PlayStation or an Xbox, it'll do some little clips or this and that and the third, blah, blah, blah. But it will not play by itself. That game was actually playing like I was actually doing this high score, doing this and that and the third. And my sister looked at me and I looked at her and we screamed and we ran out of the house, left the door wide open, everything. And we bust in my godmom's house. We were crying. And so she called my mom and my mom's like, what happened? And I told her and she ran home. She got home immediately. Like we did not stay in that house at all. We didn't stay in the house, but she blessed my room. We came back the next day. We stayed with my godmom. We came back the next day. And after that, we did not experience anything else ever again. But that specific time period when I was in middle school, I I don't know why it's still so vivid and, and, and I can still feel how I felt during that time period, but that was terrifying. I still can't explain that. I don't, I, this is like the second time I've ever talked about it. I've talked to, you know, I've said something once to my best friend of 14 years. Her name is Ty June, and she's also one of my executive board members. And I told her about that when we were in high school, and I just never spoke of it again. So, yeah, I, you know, some people would say, well, it, it can be explained. It's a lot of explanation for all of that. But when you are my age, at that time, there is no explaining anything to me. That that was something going on. Mm-hmm. Definitely sounds like it. And and you, Tanya, have you had any paranormal experiences? Um, yes. I mean, mostly when I um, was a lot younger, um, I have the sense that maybe um, you know, watching horror films in my mind is my preparation for a potential encounter. Um, I know <laughs> that. My mother, family members have had encounters. I have not had any, but um, was also kind of always put into training on what to do um, when and if that happens. Um, my mom would tell me, she's like, well, if they say, you know, come with me or come to me, then she's like, you never go. You never go because if you do, then X, Y, and Z is going to happen. Um, there was a time when I was an infant and she had placed me in my crib and it wasn't more than maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And she went back to check on me and I was not there. And um, she asked all the family members to kind of come, come out and report uh, because she wanted to know where I was and no one had me. No one knew where I was um, for a period of time. Um, So, you know, I kind of think that there are people in the family now that probably are the mediators and protectors for the, the rest of us. Um, what that means when they move on. Um, for those of us that are left, I do not know. Um, but I certainly do have a belief, and a lot of members in our family do have a belief that um, sort of the other 
other uh, dimension does exist. Um, Sharika, I know you left out that little piece as to um, why you ended up making these movies. Remember that spot on the side of the road? Oh, oh. yes. So, um, specifically pertaining to episode two, um, you know, as I said, I'm an educator, so I drive down the same road driving to uh, my school, and um, it would never happen going to school. It always happened coming back from school, going home, and it happened for like an entire week. I would drive down going home, and I would have these visions of what the episode we just filmed was about. Literally, I was like, okay, holy crap. I'm like, okay, well, let me write this down when I get home. Then the next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. And I would only, I would communicate with Tanya and Ty about these. And Tanya would say, mm, I don't know, maybe you need to, maybe you need to write that out a little bit more and uh, get this thing going. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> okay. And I, I couldn't explain it. I, I could not explain it. it and it, it wasn't just pertaining to the devils within it was pertaining to a lot the, the 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 next few episodes that i have already explained to tanya and ty about and it's crazy i'm like holy crap this is some scary stuff and as i'm sitting here writing it writing it out and i'm like tanya i think i need to go back to that spot because i'm stuck with abc and she was like yeah you do i don't know what it is i forgot what you told me about that spot tanya but literally every time i would drive down that spot i would call her that same day and yeah. say wow like where are you and you'd look out i'm in the <laughs> same spot literally wow <laughs> wow that's incredible <laughs> Just to say, that's yeah i wonder what it is about that spot have you done any research maybe to see if there's something that happened there or some I, I, no i haven't it and it's you know you would you would think it's it's nothing it's just a regular road there's mm-hmm. a Publix on the side and a gas station and you know i live in a, a you know a suburban area so it's it's a lot going on there you know so i'm like what in the world? But okay. And every time I get stuck, Tanya's like, "Have you? Did you uh, get any more thoughts about that spot yet? Did you come up? Anything new? Anything?" I'm like, "No. It was just for that time. I don't know what it is." <laughs> That's incredible. You should you should write a whole thing just about that. <laughs> exactly. I was like, "What in the world? This is crazy." <laughs> Well, and what, you know, I think horror, I've said this before on this podcast, I think horror is kind of the punk rock genre in the film world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the genre where you can say a lot of stuff that I don't think you can get away with necessarily in other genres. I think you can be a lot more political. Uh, you can push the envelope a lot more. And I think that's what's so great about the genre. Is is that in any way why you why horror inspires you or why you work in horror um is if you can speak a little bit more on that well the reason i do horror um and without oh goodness gracious without getting emotional about it um the reason i do horror is because my grandmother and my grandfather introduced it to me at a very young age 
And um, my parents would be like, why are you letting our son watch all of this crazy stuff and blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, child, be quiet. It's just so scary. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So they, they are the reasons why I love horror so much. They are also the reason why I have a huge fear of clowns. Um, I have a huge <laughs> phobia of clowns. When they showed me it, uh, with Tim Curry, I, that was, I thought that I was about to die. Like, and even still, being 28 years old now, I am ter- I'm absolutely terrified of clowns. When I go to haunted houses, when I watch movies, even when I watched It Chapter 1 and 2 um, from, um, you know, 2017 and, 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 and 2019, it was, it was scary. You know, it traumatized me. And I'm like, why in the world am I in here watching this stuff and I'm scared? But I, I love being scared. I lo- if I can't get scared, it's not good. And so I brave haunted houses every year, going through clown mazes and whatnot, but I love it. But they're the reason why I'm in horror. I'm a horror freak. And when my grandfather passed in December of 2001, you know, uh, it, um, it messed with me really bad. Even as a young kid, you know, a lot of people would say that, you know, a lot of young people, they don't understand when people pass, they cry for a minute at the funeral and then that's it. But it still bothers me to this day at 28 years old. I still cry over my grandfather and he was one of the main reasons with my grandma Phyllis that I told them, I said, one day I'm going to make a lot of horror movies. And you know, they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you are, you know, I'm a kid. They're just like, yeah, whatever. But now that I'm old enough to, make my own decisions and do exactly what I said I was going to do. You know, my grandmother, she's just so proud of me. She said, I told your family, I kept telling them this child, this specific child, cause I'm the oldest of, yeah, I'm the oldest and I have three sisters and I'm the only boy. And she kept saying when I was younger, this child right here is going to be something very big and it's going to be pertaining to film It's going to be pertaining to a lot of big people and her vision and what she said and what she saw is coming to light. And so that's why I do horror. So I love horror so much. And that's why I, I want to keep doing it. You know, it's fun. You know, you can do so much more than you can do with a drama or a thriller or, you know, even animation. You know what I mean? With horror, you can, your imagination can run as wild as possible. And with me, and Tanya can attest to this, I push the envelope so much. If I'm going to do something, we're going to do it. And we're going to do it this way. And they're like, what in the world did you write that? Yeah, I did. Let's go. Like, okay, <laughs> here we go. Okay. But that's, that's why I love horror so much. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the drama and comedy and whatnot. And, you know, we are working on our first uh, drama comedy series, which has been three years in the making with it, and it's still in development and whatnot. Uh, we start diving into it in 2021. Um, but however, horror will always be my first love. That's what I want to be known for. And I love it. And when I got that review from the Silver Movie Critic, and he put in there, and I quote, Shariko Bakari is becoming the Stephen King of horror films. And I said, oh, my God, Stephen King is one of my favorite horror authors. You know, he writes books. He writes horror books. Mm -hmm. And 
to have a critic say that about your work and who you are as a director, that just showed me right there, I'm doing exactly what I was meant to do. And I love scaring people and I love being scared. (laughs) (laughs) I love scaring the hell out of people. I, I love that. I love all of that. And that's, it's beautiful. It's actually really, really beautiful. And thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your, your gifts. Um, yeah, it's, it is an incredible genre. Um, yeah. And I, I love getting scared too. And yeah, clowns for me, it was poltergeist was what started me on being afraid of clowns. Oh and I saw that a babysitter showed me to that, showed me that film when I was maybe like eight years old oh. or something. Uh, <laughs> that was the first horror movie I saw. Yeah, so they terrified me ever since then. You would love my house. My mom made clowns all the time, and oh my gosh, because oh mom collects. Uh, she collected clown paintings, and so our youngest oh Joseph my... inherited some of those from her. So oh you would love me my house. <laughs> That's terrifying. Completely terrifying. What? Oh no, ma'am. And Tanya, is is there a reason that that you love horror? Is there anything that draws you to it? You know, I, um, like in my house too, you know, my mom asked me recently, like, why, why are you trying to make scary movies? And I was like, really, mom, you know, because of you. Um, You know, she (laughs) is, she she loves to watch horror movies, or at least she did when I was a little one. And, um, and she never shooed us away from the TV. So without saying how old I am, you know, I, I kind of grew up on the Alfred Hitchcocks and the Tales from the Crypt. And so mm-hmm. I loved everything about those. And, you know, while everyone else was like, oh, my gosh, that's scary. I'd be sitting there like laughing like that's hilarious. or That's funny. Um, <laughs> so I uh, I more so kind of look at the reactions like, you know, what people deem scary. I look at the reaction to being scared. So, you know, like I thoroughly enjoyed like watching and listening to you at netherworld when we were there oh yeah because you know i knew that the scares were supposed to happen so i was like okay well this is really not scary but what was entertaining was watching the development of people's interactions and reactions to being scared oh my god so you know that's that's what's entertaining for me and so of course um pushing that envelope just a little bit because i don't know you know whatever people want to perceive about you you know they can but um i don't outwardly try to do things that are sort of against the norm but i do kind of like behind the scenes that's why i kind of like being the executive producer maybe helping to push things along a little bit so i'm not the front man with it i'm behind the curtain the oz (laughs) (laughs) i like that the oz Um, yeah, and, and I, my mom is the same way as far as like asking me all the time, why do you watch horror movies? Why do you like horror movies? Why would you want to write? But she doesn't like horror. She cannot stand it. Although she did see The Exorcist. She said she went with her friend and she was like terrified the whole time clutching, you know, clutching the um, the her seat and just until her hands were <laughs> basically pale and numb and yeah she but she doesn't understand it and I've tried to explain to her you know why horror is so important to me personally uh, and I can totally understand why people wouldn't want to go and get scared it's it's an interesting phenomenon of you know be like okay I want to get scared I want to be terrified why would you want to be terrified there is this sort of adrenaline rush after it 
Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's very, you know, I went to my first haunted house last year because even though I love horror, I had never been to a haunted house because they scared me. The idea of actually being there face to face with it. And it was the most terrifying experience because we get there and it was all of a sudden the wind picks up and they had this huge inflatable pumpkin and the pumpkin blew off of the things that were holding it. And it started blowing over the crowd, this huge pumpkin, and it hit a power line and exploded. And so the power went out. And I'm like, this is a sign maybe that we should leave. (laughs) (laughs) But we stayed. But it was just a weird experience because the power was out. So, you know, it was even scarier than it would have been beforehand. Wow. But then afterwards, I was like, okay, I want to do that again. And. You know, it's just that that adrenaline rush, I think, that, that you don't get with other forms of entertainment, really. Sure. I wonder, because I was in, we were watching Insidious, Insidious in a theater a while back, and there was this young lady who was sitting across the aisle from us, and something spooked her. She got scared, and she was just screaming at the top of her lungs, and I was like, Okay, well, you know, this is kind of entertaining that she's screaming. And I was like, okay, well, at some point she's going to stop. And she just kept on and she kept on and she was like clenching her chair. And I looked over and I was like, oh my gosh, I think she's serious. Like, like she is like, like having an out of body experience. And so at some point I, I reached over and tapped on her shoulder and I said, you know what? I said, you're really scared. I think maybe you should go. Because like the, it's like almost the movie could have stopped and everyone turned around and was like looking at her. I was like, maybe you should go she was just that terrified and i i'd never seen any of that scared before in my life like her heart could have stopped wow 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 <laughs> yeah i've never seen that before no it's crazy <laughs> wow <laughs> Yeah, that's probably what my mom looked like when she watched The Exorcist. Is probably, I guess. It um, well, just really quickly, I know you've mentioned a few already, but um, what are some of your favorite horror films, Shrika? What are some of your favorites? Um, well, I absolutely love um, everything that uh, Wes Craven has made. He is one of my Favorite is not even, that doesn't even do it justice. I absolutely adore Wes Craven so much. And when he passed, I bawled. I'm talking about, I boo-hoo cried. I did not know the man. You would think I, I've known him for probably 15 years. But I watched, I was such a fan of all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets and all of the Scream movies. And just when he passed, it did something to me. And I said to myself, I made a promise to myself. I said, I need to get into horror a lot more than what I'm doing. And I need to honor him in some type of way that would make him proud. Not the exact same way that he did it, but in a new, different, fresh way. And that's when I fell into found footage. Um, But I absolutely love all the Nightmare on Elm Streets, all of the screams, um, I love, uh, I like all of the Purge movies. Those are really awesome. Um, but I also do love a lot of demonic possession movies. Um, I can't even name them all because they're all just so interesting to me. I absolutely love them so much. But um, anything found footage, 
I'm definitely in. I mean, because that's my subgenre. That's my specialty. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, Tanya? I think for me, it's like uh, The Descent, um, Ringu, The Ring, The Grudge, um, Sinister, oh, um, Insidious, of horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just watching in. Um, Sinister the other day. I, I hadn't watched it in years and I was re-watching it right before I went to sleep. And I'm like, maybe this isn't a good idea to be watching this movie right before I go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's a really good one. And yeah, and and I and I'm with you on Wes Craven too, Shriko. Yeah. And that must have been uh, at the Women in Horror Film Festival because Heather Langenkamp was there. Yes, she was, and yeah. I lost my mind. Oh, <laughs> I had to compose oh my god. You don't know how hard it was. Birthday yesterday? Was it her birthday yesterday? Yes, it was. Yes, it is. It was so hard to see. And see, mind you, I didn't tell my team that I'm an absolute Wes Craven freak. I didn't tell them that. So sitting there next to Tanya while I'm looking at Heather Laning, I'm like, oh, my God. She's right there. I am about to go on stage and hug her. Holy crap. Oh, my God. She just talked to me. I just took pictures with her and Amanda West. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, I could cry right now, but I kept myself and professional. But on the inside, if you could see me, oh my God. But yeah, most definitely. Yeah, that was you, though. We heard you, though, because when you saw Freddie, you were in the chair like the girl in the school. Ah, Yes, I was just like, oh, we heard you, though. Oh my God. That's that's oh, funny. Have you met Robert England? <laughs> no, I have not. But I'm telling you right now, if I do, I'm probably going to boohoo cry. Oh my god! Yeah, he's I love he's him so much. <laughs> yeah, he's incredible. And I actually did a podcast not too long ago. We were actually talking about Bruce Campbell, but he came up because someone on there said they were talking to someone who was a who was a makeup artist, and she asked, you know, so who are some of the nicest celebrities you've ever worked with? And she said, Robert England, hands down, one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. And that doesn't surprise me. So, so yeah, I would love to meet him too. He's cool. But yeah, meeting Heather was that was pretty awesome. Being able to hug her, that was really awesome. Yes, I'm like, <laughs> Heather. And Amanda are right here. And I, I, oh my God, like I took at that picture with Amanda. I didn't get to take a picture with uh, Heather, but I did speak with Heather heavily at the rap party and when we were there and whatnot. But I got my picture with Amanda West. I said, I have to get <laughs> this. I showed my mom. She freaked out. She was like, well, there's your dream come true. One of them checked off. <laughs> Yeah, I got to stand pretty much right next to her when we did the group photo of everybody who won awards and yeah. stuff. That was that was really awesome. She was really funny too when we were at the She's table. Hilarious. Oh my God. <laughs> She's really cool. Yeah, that was a great experience. Um, so let's talk about representation in horror, mm-hmm. both in front of and behind the camera. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's getting better? Uh, where do you see that going right now? Um, I do not think it's getting better simply because there is um, there's a lot of um, talk about representation in front of and behind the camera within Hollywood when it pertains to women, um, when it pertains to people of color, things of that nature, um, but especially women. Um, yeah, it's getting better. It is. It's getting better. But we're not there yet. I wish that there was a lot more 
powerhouses behind women in film and especially women in horror, but there's not. A lot of people who have women in horror or things of that nature, I, I notice it's it's sexualized and I do not like that. I don't like that. And you know, I'm a bisexual male. So yes, I like I like men and I like women. I respect women. So if I'm gonna respect women, why would I want to over-sexualize them in one of my films, especially if it did not call for that? You know what I'm saying? They find ways, and you know what I'm talking about. They find ways to, to put women in these uncomfortable situations where you're watching this and I can, I'm, I'm sitting there looking like, I know good and damn well she did not like that. I know mm -hmm. for a fact and you know what? They can't talk about it. Why? Because they're, they're, they're contract. They're bound by that. If they open their mouth, they're done. They're blacklisted uh, and every, and, you know, worse. But I do not think that there is enough talk and enough movement when it comes to women in film, when it comes to women directors, um, when it comes to women in horror in front of and behind the camera. And that's why with my production company, um, that is what, we are founded on women in front of and behind the camera, exposing women in a proper, positive, and amazing light. That's why any any woman that I work with, whether it, especially if they are talent, if I have them in front of that camera and I write something out, I always ask them, are you comfortable doing this? Is this comfortable for you? And if they say no, I rewrite it until they are comfortable with that. Simply because, this is just my opinion, and many will disagree, and many will probably rip me a new one for it, but I don't care. Hollywood is, is man-washed. It is. It's man-washed like hell. And a lot, and I don't care who doesn't like it, I'm sick and tired of seeing women uncomfortable in front of that camera. And then when you do give them a job within the industry, it's a little small job behind the camera. Or if you do give them a job, special effects, producer, this and that, the third, they're not getting recognized at the Emmys or the Oscars or the Screen Actors Guild Awards or the BAFTAs or anything like that as much as males are. That is why with my company, any and everything I do, I'm going to have women involved heavily. I don't care if it's if they don't have a leading role, they're going to have an executive producer role, some type of writing role, special effects director wrote something that's going to feature them heavily. That's why my board member, my executive board member, it's consistent of nothing but women. There are no males that hold higher positions in my company at all. There are no males, period, that hold a job position in my company. Not yet. I'm not ready for that yet. I will get there once these women that I work with get the proper recognition that they deserve. That is why with The Ominous Project 2, I had a female director direct that with me. She had a lot to say about the different styles and the different things and which way she thinks she, we could go with it because I'm a male. I don't have a female perspective. I don't. So that is why I ask so many questions. And Tanya, sometimes she'll be like, well, you know, it's your thing. Do it how you want to. No. What do you think? And I ask those questions for a reason because you are a woman. I need to know what you think and how you see this because when other women see this, they're not going to say, oh, well, that was, 
mm, okay, I see what they were trying to go. I want them to say, well, damn, a woman must have had something to do with that because that is the same thing I was thinking. That's why I asked them so many questions and I appreciate them for being respectful and not wanting to step on my toes. But when I ask my women those questions, I want them to honestly answer so that way I can represent the women who don't have a voice properly. So that way it can it can make a, a doorway for them to say, you know what, Shariko and his production company, they have inspired me. I think I'm ready to get back out there or I think I'm ready to give this a try. Because to be, to be honest with you, a lot of these women are scared to even start a career. Think about how women are in modeling with their careers and stuff and what they have to do and what they go through, what they they agree to because they think that this is okay. This is what I have to do. And that's not, you don't have to be sexualized or a sex icon. I mean, look at, what's her name? Megan Fox. I'm so proud of her for, 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 for leaving all of that BS Hollywood man-washed crap out of her life. And she's doing so well. She's doing so well. And I love her for, for standing up for herself and taking a break. And, and you notice she doesn't have a lot of social media. Why? Because she does not want that negativity. And, and like my grandmother always says, you have the opportunity to either accept unnecessary negativity or just completely delete it. And she completely deletes it. She's doing so well within these indie films and whatnot and getting back out there. And I completely love her for that. And when I make films, I want to make sure all of the women that I work with, especially when they are behind the camera, that they have a voice, that they have a voice when they're acting. That's why I give them so much, so much free roam to show me what they see within this character. Although I wrote the description out, honey, tell me what you see. How do you see her? Is she too mean when it comes to this is it not we're representing how women actually react when it comes to situations like this or do we need to go and try it this way i give every last woman that i've ever worked with a voice so that way they can say like with tanya's character when she was discussing priestess jackson she said i didn't get a response from him she didn't get a response from me for a reason because i want you to show me what you feel and see with it within this character me from a male perspective i know what i want to see but I, you as a woman, this is a woman character. What do you as a woman feel and see when you read for this character? And she did it so well. The only tips I had for her was, hey, make this a little bit more intense or hey, tone down the volume on this. Hey, let's fine tune this. Fine tuning certain things with her character. But what she created, that is all her. I had nothing to do with that. I gave her the role and she molded it in how, exactly how she believed it should be. And I believe that a lot of male directors and creators need to give women a lot more damn opportunity to showcase what they see and what they know they can do and what they know. they. Because guess what? Nine times out of 10, what, they, what women can bring you to your production is probably 90% better than what you already wrote. Not taking away the, the creative, ju creative juices from men or anything like that. But women specifically, if they give a lot more women chances in expressing themselves, what they don't like, what they think we should do with A, B, C, and D, I do believe that this time period with women not having a lot of representation when it comes to awards and different things, it will change. But it's gonna, only going to change when these big powerhouses are behind that movement. 
And me, I'm an indie filmmaker. So if it's going to start with me, I'm damn sure about to make a lot of noise with it like I have been for the past five years. And I'm going to continue to do it. And it's going to get louder and louder and louder. And yeah, they're going to have people like, well, he's just one of those people that that just he, 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 he has those women directing and doing things for him and how he wants it. No, 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 no. See, what you fail to realize is these women have imaginations. They have creative juices. They have voices just like you do as a male. But I'm going to give them the opportunity to do that while you're sitting there trying to over-sexualize them and degrade them and tell and basically tell them, I don't care what you think. It's what I wrote. No, mm-hmm. former empire doesn't work that way. However, I do not allow people to take advantage of me. Now, we're not going to do that. No one's ever going <laughs> to take advantage of Sharika Picard, whether it be man, woman, cat, dog, bird, monkey, whoever. They're not. But I will definitely expose you in a positive light and give you the voice that you deserve. Well, I, if it wouldn't be so loud, I'd be applauding you right now. Cause I have to say, I, you know, I was in film school and I had a very, 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 very traumatizing experience on a film set. And I came forward about it and it just, it, it hurt my life for years and it still does. And it made me not want to act anymore. It made me, you know, not even want to be in film for a while, not even do film, not even do anything. And I remember once um, a male classmate saying to me, well, you've either got to get thicker skin or get out of this industry because it's going to continue happening. Wow. And which was one of the worst things you could possibly say to somebody who goes through that. But that's a lot of the thinking Um, in Hollywood and behind the scenes. That's a lot of the thinking is, well, it's just part of it. You just got to go along with it. And so just thank you very much for saying what you said and for doing what you do. Um, really, I, from a woman, it, it's, it's incredible to hear that and to see that. And Tanya, I can only imagine that's got to be an amazing working environment to be in. Well, it is. It, it gives you that flexibility to make decisions and make steps that you wouldn't otherwise make. Um, you know, the donation of the Lizzie, your Lizzie, um, was sort of the birth child of my win from the Sunshine City Film Festival. And the more and more I looked into the Women in Horror Film Festival and um, looked at what they were trying to accomplish and, and look at the funds that they needed to make that happen, I was like, well, this is just a no brainer. You know, why not give money to a cause to make this happen? Why not support another woman in the industry? Um, more of that has to happen. Um, I think that, you know, of course there are def- differences between equality and equity and all of that. Um, but to begin to start to level the playing field, we're going to have to start to invest in ourselves, um, very simply put. And the more and more we can make connections and do the networking and support one another's work, um, just like you're doing here on the podcast today, um, that that strengthens us as a whole, and not just as a group of women, but the filmmaking industry in and of itself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you even look at stuff that's going on with, uh, you know, like the new Candyman, yeah. and everybody just mm-hmm. talks about it being Jordan Peele's film when Nia DaCosta is the one who directed it, you know, and that's, that, yeah, Thank that's you. a big thing is she's the one who directed it she's the director she's you know it's not a jordan peele film it's her film thank you and 
you know, we need to say that more and people need to realize that more. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I hope it changes, but you know, I, we've been talking a lot about, about films lately and we've been highlighting, uh, we talked about, um, get out and we were talking a lot about, you know, how important that movie is right now and everything that's going on and talking about how, yeah, it was amazing when that got nominated and, and when Jordan Peele won, but even though that stuff happens or you might see like a surge with the me too movement and things look like they're changing at the same time, it still isn't. You still have, you know, like with the example of Candyman, you still have people just calling that Jordan Peele's film. Um, So you still have so there's still a long way to go. And like you said, people in power are the ones that need to step up and make the change. They're the ones that need to do something because they're the ones that can, they need to use their voice for good, you know? And if you have that microphone, if you have that power, it's your responsibility to do something. So, yeah. So thank you for doing something, both of you. Thank you. And thank you again for sponsoring that um, award. I have to say that was one of the best nights of my life, you know, and I, and I will say on a personal, I'll just say, I don't think I've ever said this, but you know, I, most of the scripts I've written are not horror scripts. They're very, very independent dramas, uh, very character driven, but they don't have a lot of horror in them. And I, and they, they weren't getting anywhere. And so I just decided I'd seen women in horror film festival. I'm like, okay, I'm going to enter baby blue into this. And if I make it into this film festival, that's telling me that maybe that's where I should have my focus and then making it in. I was like, okay. And then sitting there, I was like, um, yeah, well, it's cool. I'm nominated. But and then hearing that name, it was like, okay, so this is the universe telling me this is where I should go. So yeah, that is it. Great. Well, um, do you guys have? Thank you. Thank you again. Um, And do you guys have any advice to any aspiring filmmakers, aspiring actors, writers, any advice you want to pass along? Yes, most definitely. Um, My first advice to anyone starting out or um, trying to find their way, uh, if you will, is to make sure that you have a plan. Make sure that you have a list of goals. Make sure you write them out. And I know it sounds cliche, but it does work. When I first started out, I didn't do that. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't go to school for film. I taught myself how to do all of this. And five years later, here I am, an international multi-award winning director, actor, producer, CEO, all of that. So you have to have a plan. You have to write it out. You have to stick to that. And you have to have backup plans for your plans and backup plans for your backup plans. It just doesn't come overnight. You know what I'm saying? We don't have, unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of being born into Hollywood to where our mom and dad is um, in big films or they can connect us with this person and it's bam, we got it, you know? We have to make our own way. And by doing so, you have to stay grounded. You have to be humble and you have to be dedicated and committed to yourself, not anyone else, to yourself and to your craft, because your craft is not only your talent, that's also your business as well, too. Whether you're owning a production company or whether you're just an actor or an actress, that is your business. And if you treat your business like crap and just pick it up every once in a while and you get upset because I didn't get into this festival or this person told me I was crap and I didn't get into this film. Well, 
I hate to break it to you, but that's life. And you just have, you got to keep pushing and you got to keep going because maybe there was something that you forgot, one little thing you forgot. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to fix that. I'm about to do this again for this one. You know, it was hard for me when I first started. Most definitely. It was only me. It was only me. And then my cousin jumped on board with my company and she jumped on board with me from 2015 all the way up until the summer of 2018 until she got picked up for her big modeling contracts and she had to leave. She did her duties. You know what I mean? She did what she needed to do to help me get where I need to be. And when it comes to hiring people on to help you with your journey, because you can't do this alone, especially if you're going to do something huge, like what we are doing at Foreman Empire, it can't be a one man band. It just can't. It's too big. You have to make sure that the people that you are working with sees and supports your vision. 100% is honest, loyal, dedicated, grounded, committed, and, and all for you and your vision. Make sure that they are molded to fit what you need them to be for the company, what you need them to be for the film, and what you need them to be for you. Because a lot of people make mistakes by just hiring people just because, and oh, the actress looks good, or the actor looks great, or the producer has done A, B, C, and D, and blah, 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 their resume's good, and they just hire them on. But did you interview them? Did you really have an in-depth conversation about your expectations, what you expect, what you will not tolerate, and where you're trying to go with, not even where you're trying to go, where you are going with this. And do they fit everything that you have built? Do they fit your standards? Do they fit your standards people-wise? Do they fit your standards work-wise? Do they fit your standards mental, emotional? All of that. It's a lot that goes into that. And a lot of people just make mistakes by just hiring anybody and then they get upset when this person doesn't want to do the work or, well, I, this person is, is saying A, B, C, and D about me. Well, honey, you didn't screen them. You've got to screen people just like if it was a regular job. And a lot of people make mistakes by hiring their friends or coworkers or this and that and the third. And those people, to be honest with you, some of them do care. I'm not saying not all of them do, but 90% of them don't give a damn. They just want to see the work. They just want to see I'm on this. It needs to happen right now and let me see the end result. It doesn't work like that. You need people that's going to be with you for the long run. That's why I prayed for a long time from 2015 until 2018 and still going for a team that is going to be solid, that is going to be honest, grounded, committed, all about me, all about the company, all about themselves. If you don't, if you don't have people who is about themselves and see that, see their what you're trying to do as a career, not a hobby, they're not going to do well. They're not. They're going to be lazy. They're going to sit around. You're going to have a lot of problems. You have to make sure these people are on the same wavelength and level as you. Do they take their career seriously or do they take their career as just a hobby? I'll just pick it up and do it whenever. You can't do that. That's where your problems are going to lie. It's going to take a long time. It took me five years to get the team that I have. It took me five years to get a career manager. Tanya is not only my executive board member, she's my career manager. She manages my career as a CEO of the company, as an actor for television and film, and as a filmmaker. She manages me, her and her husband. So it takes patience and time, and a lot of us want to rush and get there so quick 
and rush and get there to say we have this and then you wonder why you didn't get an official selection or you wonder why you got an official selection but you didn't get an award for ABC and D or you wonder why these people are falling off. They're not right for you. It's going to be trial and error. I made those mistakes. I'm not sitting here tell, giving this advice if I didn't do it and overcome it. You know what I'm saying? I've made plenty of those mistakes. But within those mistakes, within hiring people who don't give a damn about me, within hiring people who talk crap about my productions, who, who, who sit around and gossip about what's wrong with Sharico's production, Sharico's not paying us, and this and that and the third. Well, that, guess what? That's why you are not here anymore. That's why you're not here, and that's why you're never going to amount to anything but what you're doing right now, which is nothing. They talk so much about what they want to do, and then when you give them the opportunity for it, it's like, oh, this is too much work. Well, hell, if you want to be a big-time screenwriter, producer, director, writer, actor, you have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You have to make that, that opportunity that's given to you the best opportunity, like this is your last. That's why every film festival we get into, we treat it and we get so excited as if we were nominated for freaking Oscar or a BAFTA award or Emmy award. When we win awards, we act like it is the biggest thing, like we've won an Emmy or like we've won a BAFTA or like we've won an, an Oscar. We treat it like that. You know why? Because if you don't treat it like that, how are other people going to be able to help? Not, here we go. Want to invest in you to push you to that point. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you have to have trial yeah. and error with people that are on your team. You're going to have to do a lot of firing. You're going to have to do a lot of rehiring. And you're going to have to do a lot of stuff by yourself. Mm-hmm. People, they don't care. And that is what's so important for people to understand. They hear what you're saying. They hear the accomplishments. They hear the elevation they still don't care unless what unless you got picked up by a big studio and you making that money then they're oh oh sharico and 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 aaron and tanya they're they're doing blah, blah, blah. girl there they got picked up by <laughs> universal they got a first look deal with amazon studios and blah 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 blah. back the hell up back up because no ma'am if you can't support us now i promise you i will act like you are nothing but watching paint dry on a wall when I do get there. And that's the way you have to be with people. You can't, everybody's not your friend. Even get, here we go, even people you work with, even people that's in your company, even people that work with you daily, they have a motive. They are not your friend. And I just experienced that recently in the spring. And I had to get rid of her quick. So I'm telling you, you have to be careful. You have to be mindful. And you have to know your true self, staying true to what you believe in, because you get all these other people in here. They're going to try to change your mind. Well, I don't think that this is what I don't give a damn what you think. This is what I said. And if you can't comply with what I said, it's in your contract. Don't sign it. You have an option. You don't have to be here. You don't have to work with people. You choose to. So when you get upset over things that, that things that didn't go your way or you don't like the way this is going or you don't like the way that's going or we didn't win this or win that, blah, 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 blah. You don't have to do this. This is a choice. You made that choice. So what are you complaining about? People want so much for so little, especially indie actors and indie filmmakers. <laughs> They want so much for so little, and you can't even sit here and write a simple damn opening within a script. Or you can't sit here and get a simple, simple, small script down packed. 
So what are you doing? How do you expect to? It confuses me. It baffles me. That's why I keep my company tight knit. That's why I keep the people that I have very close. And that's why I have not hired anyone else to be on my team. People have been left and right. I want to interview for Foreman Empire, for your publicist, for your marketing person, for this, for that, for blah, blah, blah. And I say thank you for all your information to my HR representative, Ty June, and I leave it there. I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not. Unless I feel in my spirit and in my heart when I meet you, oh yeah, this is another Tanya or this is another Ty. I'm going to contact you personally. Hey, I want to have a conversation with you about potentially doing A, B, C, and D with Foreman Empire Productions. So when these people ask me, can I join or do you need help? I always say, forward your information. I don't need it right now. We're not there yet. If I do feel like you fit something that we're looking for, then I'll interview you and screen you heavily. And I just don't screen you. My HR representative screens you. My executive producer screens you. And we come up with a score and we have a conference about this specific person. See, it takes a lot. Mm-hmm. People don't want to do that. They just want to make the movie, get the recognition, win the awards, and we're done. But see, when you have a plan for the long run, when you have a plan for certain things, it's going to take day in and day out, not sleeping, not getting enough rest, not doing this and that the third, staying up late, writing this script, rewriting that script firing this person, firing that person to get it right. Mm -hmm. That is all the advice I have. (laughs) No, it's great advice. And, you know, um, it isn't the same thing, but doing this podcast, I've been doing it. It started in December last year and I knew a podcast would be a lot of work. It was one of my big dreams was to have a podcast. And I just went, okay, well, I can't keep waiting around for the perfect moment for this to happen. And I just have to do it. And it is like having another job, but I love doing it. It's gotten me through a lot during this time. It's been the one ray of <laughs> bright light out there is doing this podcast. But you do realize, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I need to have people helping me. And I do have panelists that come on and I have panelists, you know, and, and people behind the scenes that have, that have helped a lot and helped promote. And so I am at that point where I do need to have people helping a lot more so that I can make it a better podcast, make it grow more, make it become more successful in that big wide world. And so it is, it is a game of trying to see, okay, who is actually serious about this and wants to put in the work because you're not going to be making any money right now. Thank you. Not saying that can't happen, but you're not going to be making any money right now. You have to be passionate about it and do it. So yeah, it's very true in, in all all forms of life. But I think in anything that's creative, people do tend to have this mindset where they feel like it shouldn't be the same as having a quote unquote regular job, that it should be something that just comes easy and you just all of a sudden you got fame and fortune. And, and if you get into any industry like this to be famous, I'm sorry, but that to me means you don't really care about being in this industry. You don't really care about being an artist. You don't really care about being successful. You just want to be recognized on the street or whatever that, that means. That's it. Yeah. That's all you want. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Do that. That's your regular job. Just dress the hell up and put your makeup on and go (laughs) do your job and get your check. It will be more recognizable there than you will. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's very true. (laughs) 
Tanya, do you have any advice you want to add? Uh, my advice is to enjoy the ride. Use this time right now during the pandemic um, to get yourself together, you know, to take on a project that you can be serious about and invest in um, during this pandemic. Because as soon as this is over, which, you know, I don't, I don't care who you want to listen to, but Dr. Fauci says about a year and a half, the film industry is going to be back on fire. I'm telling you, you know, Atlanta is so, I can speak from Atlanta's perspective, Atlanta is so ready to get back into it, it's ridiculous. Um, so just be ready, be ready. Great, wonderful, I love that too. Great, well, let's close out. Um, and if you guys want to just let everybody know where they can find you, Foreman Films, start with you, Shriko. Well, um, as you guys know, I am Shariko Bakari, Executive Director of Foreman Empire Productions. Um, and you can find me on um, Facebook at uh, Shariko Bakari. You can find Foreman Empire Productions at Foreman Empire Productions. Um, you can also find our film festival, Foreman Empire Productions International Film Festival, where you can submit all of your films for 100% free until September the 1st. Um, that's also on Facebook and all of those which I mentioned are on Instagram as well. Wonderful. And we'll, we're going to be linking that in the show notes as well, just to let everybody know. Awesome. And then Tanya? I am. Uh, <laughs> um, you can find me on Facebook. I don't have Insta or Twitter or anything like that. Shrika tells me, tells me I should, I should, I should. But I manage social media pages for other groups and activities. And so I can only manage so much of social media. Um <laughs> I also um, have a new podcast that's coming out. Um, it's yes. called Making You Champions. Um, so working with um, um, some boxers there and Joe Lewis Bourbon. So I might be calling you, um, Aaron, to get some tips and on how to um, do a good podcast as well. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I'll be definitely looking out for that. Great. And this is Aaron. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. Um, if you have any feedback, if you would like to be a potential guest on the show, feel free to email me at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And as a reminder, once again, we are taking listener sponsorship now. So for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month, you can support the show. The link will be in the show notes, or you can go to our anchor page as well. And once again, as I've said before, 100% of all the funds we receive from now until at least October 1st are going to various Black Lives Matter organizations. And also, since we have one ad that we are doing, I want to mention it again, that all the funds we receive from that as well will be going to Black Lives Matter organizations until at least October 1st. And on our next show, we are going to be talking about Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which turns 31 years old <laughs> this year. So it's pretty incredible. So that should be a really great conversation. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.